Welcome to the worship service of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was 50 years ago, 1969, that the song, Let's Get Together, was rising up the charts and would go to number five. It became incredibly successful. And maybe it's because it had a message that we needed to hear as a culture and that we finally were ready to hear. You remember the words of the song. Love is but a song to sing, fears the way we die. You can make mountains ring or make the angels cry. Though the bird is on the wing and you may not know why. Come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. Some may come and some may go. We shall surely pass. When the one that left us here returns for us at last, we are but a moment's sunlight fading in the grass. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. It was a message that we needed to hear after such a tumultuous decade. Living through the 1960s, we had three of our leaders assassinated. <coughs> Robert Kennedy. We had John F. Kennedy. Martin Luther King, Jr., here we had all of these political leaders, people making a difference in our nation, assassinated in a five-year period. We had never had that. We have not had that since. It was a difficult time in our nation. We were in the midst of the civil rights movement. There were all kinds of protests, and again, it was so difficult. It was a time in which we were in Vietnam, and there were all the protests over Vietnam. 
It was a time in which there was Watergate and there was so much on the news about our politicians. We no longer trusted our government officials. No, it was a time of anger and fear and strife. And this song brought a message that we needed to hear. But in the beginning, we weren't ready to. The song was written by Chet Powers in 1964. And in 1964, it was sung by the Kingston Trio. It didn't really catch much traction. In 1965, it was sung by Jefferson Airplane. It didn't catch much traction. Linda Ronstadt would sing it. The Youngbloods would sing it in 1967. In fact, it would be recorded from 1964 to 1969, recorded eight times, eight different artists recording it, and yet it never really did much until 1969. We needed to hear the message but it's like we weren't ready to hear it yet. And then in 1969, what happened was television and radio stations, public stations, had to provide what was called a public service announcement for free. In those days, nonprofits were given a certain amount of time to make a PSA, a public service announcement that would be for the good of the community. And so nonprofits were always vying with one another to try to get that free time. And quite often the messages they would bring were rather preachy. But that year, the National Conference for Christians and Jews wanted to promote National Brotherhood Week. And so they put forth this promotion for National Brotherhood Week and used this song, Let's Get Together. And suddenly, as it began to play this PSA all across the nation, people started calling their stations saying, how do I get that song? And so the record company re-released the Youngblood's version of the song from 1967, re-released it in 1969, and it ran to number five on the charts because we were ready to hear. At the end of that tumultuous decade, we needed to hear. Come on now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. 25 years later, in 1994, a movie came out that would become a part of our culture. It was a movie that would win Best uh, Picture in the Academy Awards. Do you remember what picture that was in 1994? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump came out and it really brought a social commentary about the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. It looked back on those days through the innocent eyes of a Forrest Gump. It made us look at ourselves and what we had been through. And it had a soundtrack with so many wonderful songs, but one of them was, Let's Get Together. It would sell 12 million copies of that soundtrack. Fifty years later, I believe we're in a place in our culture, a time in our history, when we need to hear that message again. Maybe it's a message we are ready to hear. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. It's not a new message, really, for 
where we are. It's a message that's been shared by people of faith for over 2,000 years. It really is the message of our scripture lesson this morning from the first letter of John. Now, right now, you and I are in a church-wide Bible study. I've been asking you to read one chapter of John a week. We've had different leader guides or guides for you out in the narthex you can pick up to read one chapter from the book of John a week. There are prayers to pray. There are questions to think about. You can talk about them with your spouse in your Sunday school class. Just reflect on them on your own. And so we've been going through a series, Finding the Way. Well, this morning I want to start a a new series, just a short series on um, music that changed the world. We do this each year, choosing a few songs, because I believe that music speaks to our hearts, and it's something you remember. And, you know, I can start to hear this music, as we're going to hear in a few minutes, and I can sing every word, and it just kind of starts moving your soul. You remember things in music. And so I I want us to look at some music here for these next couple weeks, but I still want to do it with this flavor of John. And so we take a little detour this week from the Gospel of John to the letters of John. And we're reading the first letter of John. And most scholars would say that the author of the Gospel of John was probably the author of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It probably was written between 95 and 110. It may have been written on the Isle of Patmos. Though some scholars would say, no, the Gospel of John may have been written by the Apostle, but the first letter of John was written by a disciple of John. may have been written in Ephesus. But irregardless, the spirit of the Gospel is very much the spirit of of the letter. For in the gospel of John, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in the letter of John, John would say, whoever says he loves God and hates his neighbor is a liar. For how can you love God whom you've not seen if you can't love your neighbor whom you have seen? No, the Spirit through the Gospel of John and the letter of John is the same. An emphasis on what does it mean to love one another because Christ has loved us. The Spirit is the same whether we are in the Gospel or we are in the first letter of John. I believe that's a message you and I need to hear. Because we live in a time when we are so divided. We are so polarized. It's always them versus us. And we decide who them is. And we put ourselves into these little categories. And either you're for me or you're against me. And we live in a time which we are so divided on so many subjects. And I think we need to hear a message. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. I want us to think about it this morning. Three things that I want to share. First of all, I like the statement, smile on your brother. 
Smile on your brother. John would say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When you and I are born of God, when we live in love, then it affects your very soul and the way you look at one another. Can you smile on your brother? You know, I've been in an experiment for the last six weeks. Ever since the beginning of the year, I've been in an experiment in seeing if I can't be an agent of smile for God. I've been trying to prepare myself for general conference next week. So I've been in training, and what I've been doing is I wanted to see how did people respond to a smile. Now, if you notice, if you think about it, whenever you're walking along a sidewalk or if you've got escalators kind of running each way, you might look over and you catch somebody's eye. And what do you do if you catch somebody's eye and they catch yours? You immediately kind of look away. You know, they look away, you look away. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look for people and I'm going to look them in the eye and I'm going to smile. And I wanted to see what they would do. And so I've been finding people wherever I've gone, I'm trying to catch their eye, I will look at them, I will smile at them, not look away. And I'll tell you what I've found is nine times out of ten, they suddenly break into a smile and smile back. Almost every time, they will smile back. It's a natural response. Start looking at the faces of the people around you, whether you're in a restaurant or whether you're out in public or in the office, and our faces are tight. We are serious. We are angry. We are serious in who we are and what's going on. And to catch someone's face and to smile, it does something. Now, I do that when I'm in public and I'm just passing and it's going to be a quick moment. It's a smile, a nod of their existence. But now if I get in an elevator, I take it another step. You know, whenever we get in an elevator, we're standing shoulder to shoulder and we understand that politely we're not supposed to recognize the other person exists. You stand in an elevator and you look up at the numbers and we're watching them go up and down, and we don't act like anyone is beside us. I decided whenever I got in an elevator, people got on, I was going to look at them, smile, and say, good morning. It might be a comment, sure is cold outside. Or if it's football season, I would usually lead with, the New Orleans Saints got robbed. It always started a conversation. I remember I was out at Baptist Hospital making some visits and I got on an elevator and this guy got on and I mean he was a big tall guy and he had some long hair and he had a beard and he had tattoos all over and he looked pretty serious and I thought this is an experiment. <laughs> How are you? He kind of looked at me, kind of smiled. And I said, Man, no saint. Boy, once we mentioned football, we were off and running. He talked the whole way down. I mean, we visited. When I walked out, he was going, have a good day. You too. I was out in California. I told you recently we were out in Anaheim, and, and I was staying in a, high up in a hotel, and I got on, and the very next floor, a mother and a father and three little girls got on. They were probably elementary age, maybe early junior high. 
and they were very respectful and quiet and kind of got on and no one was saying anything. I heard the little girl say something to her mother and she had a strong English accent. And I said, good morning, are you from England? And they said, no, no, we're from New Zealand. We're going to Disneyland. We're going to go see Mickey. Oh my goodness, suddenly they wanted to talk and mom and dad were so friendly and they had questions about the U.S. and we just talked and laughed, rode all the way down, got off into the lobby and we were still talking. And I thought, I would have missed that moment if we'd all just stood there and acted like we didn't know each other or that anybody existed. When you live in the love of God, it does something to your soul. It can put a smile on your face. And in this world of such tension and anger and fear, what a gift. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. We do it because we live in the love of Christ. Secondly, I like the statement in the song, Some may come and some may go. We shall surely pass. When the one that left us here returns for us at last. It made me stop and think. We shall surely pass. We get so upset in the moment about certain things. Whether it's political or in the church or social. We can get so upset in the moment. And now and then you need to stop back and remember. Some may come and some may go. We shall surely pass when the one that left us here shall return for us at last. What does this moment look like in the light of eternity? To see God in this moment in a bigger picture. You know, I I really do believe that It is God who works in our world and in our lives in much bigger ways than we sometimes see in the moment. To trust in eternity and what is going to be going on. Not long ago, I told you we had been out in California. Phil and uh, Wendy and Josh and I were all out there to go visit with Chef Bruno Serrato. We went out there to go talk to him about his Katarina's Club, a special ministry of feeding the hungry children in Anaheim. And I'm really excited about it, what we were learning, and I hope to have some special announcements to our family of faith here in the very near future. But it was a great time to be out there, and we not only took that time, but while we were there, we met with Bruno Serrato, and then we also went over to the Crystal Cathedral. You remember the Crystal Cathedral and Robert Schuller? I mean, Robert Schuller had the Hour of Power. It was a television program from 1970 to 2010. Forty years it was on the air. And it literally was across the nation and even around the world in different places. It was the longest running religious show ever. It was incredibly successful. And Robert Schuller was fascinating. He built this crystal cathedral out there at the Garden Grove Community Church. It turned out that it was in 1955 that he went to Southern California, went to Orange County. 1955, a young pastor, five years out of seminary, and he went there to help start this church. 
And he decided to do it in a drive-in theater. He couldn't find any other place to meet, a drive-in theater where he would go and stand up on the roof of the snack bar. They would have their music. People could take the speakers and put it on their car windows and then he could be speaking and they could hear throughout all the drive-in theater. And the whole thing was, come in your car as you are. And that way on Southern California, you're in your bathing suit and you're on your way to your beach and yet you can drop in and you can have church there at the drive-in theater and pull out and keep on going. It was a different idea, and it was incredibly successful. So successful that at the end of six years, they had collected enough money to buy 10 acres of land and build a building. And they built their first building, which was this beautiful sanctuary, and they also put in spots for 500 cars and the, micro, and the speakers just like at a drive-in theater. So that just as the way they started, there were doors that would open up in the sanctuary and he'd walk out onto a balcony and people were sitting in their cars just like at a drive-in theater. He could speak to them. He could then come back in, speak to the congregation inside. I mean, it was quite a unique thing and it was very successful. So successful that Billy Graham came to visit with him and it was Billy Graham who encouraged him to go on TV, which he did in 1970 and created this hour of power for the next 40 years. Now, I got to tell you that when I watched Schuler on TV, I found it hard to listen to. He was so dramatic, and everything was so big in the way he talked, and his movements, and, and I, that just wasn't my style, and I found it hard listening to him. But I loved reading what he had to say. And he had so many books that were out that were bestsellers, and I read them, and I thought they were great. I mean, he had so many sayings that I thought were worth remembering. Problems are not stop signs, they are guidelines. Tough times never last, but tough people do. Let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your future. I'd rather attempt to do something great and fail than to attempt to do nothing and succeed. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. You know, it's fascinating, many of his statements and what he had to say, and, and he did great things. Well, it was in 1979 when I graduated from seminary, I was going to start a new church in Houston. And it was my district superintendent who came to me and said, we want to send you to the Robert Schuler Institute for successful church leadership in Garden Grove. And so before we started the church, I headed out there with Marcia and we went to go to, the, uh, to Robert Schuler's church. He taught the course. And when he was teaching and lecturing us, he did it in just a very personal kind of way, conversational. He was wonderful. And I got to tell you, I learned more on how to lead a church in that week than I did in any course that I took in seminary. It was great. It affected the way that I have done ministry for 45 years. And you know, one of the fascinating things that he said, I've never forgotten, he said, you know, if you read your Bible, you're going to find that Jesus never called anybody a sinner. He confronted sin. He talked about sin. But he never called anybody a sinner. It's like he believed in people. And he said, I've always believed that if I could help people be ever closer to Christ, they probably would sin less. It was an interesting approach. 
And it worked incredibly well. In 1980, they opened the Crystal Cathedral. Seats 3,000 people. It's all glass in the shape of a star. Oh, it was quite the spectacle. I mean, it caused a stir. And it was very successful. In 1982, he managed to get a, an audience with Pope John Paul II. And he traveled to Rome and met with the Pope and brought renderings of the church and the plans and asked for a papal blessing. Would you bless the church? Would you bless the ministry of this church? And the Pope did. And that was a big deal. The Catholic Pope blessing the Protestant church is a big deal. The church continued to thrive through the 80s and into the 90s. Schuler finally retired in 2006. He was 80. And they went through a difficult time of transition. And it came at a bad time because the recession of 2009, 2010, and when that came, the church fell on some hard times. And in the end, couldn't pay all their bills and had to make a decision. And they sold all this facility to the Catholic Church Diocese of Orange County. Orange County originally had 300,000 Catholics, but it was growing and booming, and it now has the largest population of Vietnamese outside of Vietnam. It now has 1,200,000 Catholics in Orange County. And they bought this facility, and they have services throughout the weekend where thousands come in several different languages to worship every weekend. It's owned by the Catholic Church, and it's now called Christ Cathedral. Well, they're renovating the Crystal Cathedral Sanctuary so that the inside they can do more worship as they would do in the Catholic Church. And it was under renovation, but they've already renovated a lot of the, uh, the campus. And so the four of us went, and we came across a lady named Trudy, who was so wonderful, and she gave us a personal tour to go to all these different facilities. And she started talking about how when they got this, when the Catholic Church got it in 2012, they had to do a lot of maintenance and repair. They had to tear the original sanctuary down to the steel studs, and they rebuilt it perfectly to the original specifications. You'd never know it was not brand new. They did this in all the different buildings. They still kept the name the Tower of Hope. They still have this crystal cathedral, and it looks the same on the outside, though they're redoing it on the inside. They speak so highly of Robert Schuler and this congregation, this family of faith, and all that they did. And they have these names of all the people who have given back down through the years to build this wonderful place, and they honor them, and they keep these names. Names that they have no idea who they are, they keep them. And Trudy started explaining to us, said, you know, we are so grateful for this family of faith and all the good they've done, and we are grateful for the opportunity we have now. We're all one church. We're all one church. And we believe God is going to continue to use this place to bless life. And I got to thinking, in 1955, a young pastor who is reformed comes to start a drive-in church and ultimately builds this crystal cathedral. And in 1982, it is blessed. 
by Pope John Paul II and 37 years later, it's a Catholic church. Who would have ever dreamed? Who would have ever dreamed? We went out to the cemetery that is there. They have a columbarium, mausoleums, and grave sites. We went and stood at the grave of Robert Narvella Schuer, he and his wife. And as I stood there and I looked at what all has gone on in the past and what is going on now and will go on in the future, I couldn't help but think, some may come and some may go. We shall surely pass. When the one that left us here returns for us at last. To look at things in the perspective of eternity, a bigger moment, it really does enable us to remember that we are called to love one another. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. And so third, if you hear the song I sing, you will understand. You hold the key to love and fear all in your trembling hand. The key to love and fear. John would say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. How often you and I are afraid because of something we don't understand, something that is different from us, something that we disagree with, how much we have been afraid of one another through the years, whether because of a person's religion, the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their political stance, how often we divide ourselves and we are afraid of one another and it leads to anger and we separate from one another. Perfect love casts out fear. It's when you and I know what it means to be loved by God that we choose to love. To love the way we have been loved. And how are we asked to love? Well, I'm supposed to love you the way I want to be loved, to treat you the way I want to be treated. It's the golden rule that we are called to love one another as we have been loved, as we would want to be loved and be treated when you and I choose to do that, to live in perfect love, it casts out fear. It enables us to smile on your brother. It enables us to look at this moment in the bigger context of eternity. You're not afraid. One of my favorite authors is a lady named Kate Braestrup. Kate Braestrup wrote some books entitled um, here if you need me. Another one, marriage and other acts of charity. She's a lady with a real sense of humor and, and, and great insight. She's an ordained minister and she serves as chaplain for the game wardens in Maine. 
I've never heard of the chaplain for game wardens. That's what she does. Uh, her husband was a state trooper for um, the Maine Department of Public Safety. And they lived in Maine. And, and it turned out they were childhood sweethearts and got married very young. And they were so in love and there was so much laughter and life in their lives. And then they wound up having four children. And after nine years of marriage, they finally were making enough money they could make ends meet. And everyone was healthy and, and life should have been good. But at the end of nine years, actually where they were was they were fighting and arguing all the time. And I don't mean kind of just arguing. I mean door slamming, screaming, pencil breaking, cup smashing, fighting. They really were in a bad place. And this went on and on. And finally, Kate could not take it anymore. And she said, we need to go to counseling. And so before she went to counseling, she made up a list of 11 things that Drew was doing wrong. And she went to counseling and she laid out before the counselor, here's all the things that he's doing wrong, number one, number two. And she said he was great about it. He'd say, I'll try to do better. I'm going to listen. Okay, I'll pay. 11 things. He just went, he's all the things he's not doing right. Well, they got through with counseling and it didn't get any better. They continued to fight. They continued to argue. More months went by. And finally, Kate said, I want a divorce. I can't do this. And Drew was crushed. I mean, his childhood sweetheart, they were going to divorce, to be without her. He was crushed. And one day he was at work and Kate was at home taking care of the kids and the two youngest, a boy and a, a little girl, and they were fighting as the little girl was picking on her brother. And she finally broke him up and said, y'all can't do this. And she looked at her daughter and said, you've got to learn how to love your brother. And she looked up and her chin was quivering and she said, but I don't know how to love him. And Kate said it hit her like a ton of bricks. And I don't know how to love Drew. He won't tell me what he wants. He won't tell me what he needs. I don't really know how to love him. And then she thought to herself, well, maybe, maybe I need to try to love him the way I would want to be loved. Maybe I need to treat him the way I want to be treated. And she thought, man, this sounds so good. She went quickly as an author and wrote it down. I need to love him the way I want to be loved and the way I want to be treated. And she read it back out loud and she thought, well, good Lord, I just reinvented the golden rule. It wasn't so profound and new after all. The next Sunday, the next day was Sunday and she was in church. She was standing beside Drew with the children all on the same pew and they were standing and singing these songs about love. And she suddenly began to sob. She began to sob when she thought, you know, the way that I'm treating Drew is not the way I'd want to be treated. The things that I say, the things that I do, it's not how I would want to be loved. It's not how I would want to be treated. To know what it means to feel loved by God and then to feel like we're called to love one another, to love one another the way that we want to be loved, the way that we want to be treated. And she made a commitment standing there sobbing in church. She was going to do it different. And so she came home, and when she was at home, 
now before she would speak and get angry or demand, she would always stop and think, if what I say is that what I'd want to be said to me, am I loving the way I want to be loved? Am I treating him the way I want to be treated? I know I have been loved by God. I have been blessed. Am I loving him the same way? And it's amazing, the fighting stopped. Drew was trying in his own way, and now Kate was trying in her own way. The fighting and the screaming stopped. And before long, they found themselves laughing again, and loving again, and living as a family again. And it was so good. For the next year, it was so good. And then one morning, Drew was out on patrol, and it was an icy cold morning in Maine, and he was standing beside his patrol car when a truck came along and began to slide and smashed into him and his patrol car, and he was instantly killed. And suddenly, Kate became a widow at a very young age with four small children. The last year had been so beautiful. The grief was so deep. It was probably a year after Drew died. She was trying to always talk to her children to help them through their own grief. And she was talking with her oldest son, Zach, who was nine years old. And as they were talking, Zach said, You know, Mom, you and Dad used to fight and scream and holler. And it was scary. I mean, so scary. And Kate said, I'm sorry about that, Zach. I'm really sorry. But mom, one day it stopped. I mean, one day it just stopped and it never happened again. What happened between you and dad? And Kate said, I think we came to realize that we were loved by God and we were called to love each other as we had been loved. We came to realize that that we needed to love each other the way we wanted to be loved, to treat each other the way we wanted to be treated, because that's the way we're supposed to treat all people. We've been loved by God, and we're supposed to treat all people and love one another. I mean, you're supposed to love as many as you can, as deep as you can, as long as you can. And Kate got on a roll, and you could see the excitement and the passion of Zach as he was kind of getting into it. He says, I got it, Mom. I got it. I can do that. I can love like that. I can love that enough that I bet I could love even a, an axe murderer. And Kate said, I couldn't help but appreciate the passion of my child, this nine-year-old boy. And I said, that's great, Zach. But why don't we start with your sister? Why don't you start with the people right around you? To be able to look deeply and not be afraid to love perfectly in God, to love in the light of eternity. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now.
It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been watching the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust that you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.